Let me ask you this. What, what is the, the worst or most humiliating gift you've ever received? <laughs> You're going to tell me next Tuesday, uh, maybe, some of you. I saw at Walmart where you can buy uh, fake boxes, and for my family, I didn't buy any of these, and the, uh, they're real boxes, but they have the picture of something on the outside, uh, like it may be some piece of electronics or something like that, a CD player, you know, or uh, MP3, you know, something that would be really cool, and then the idea is you're supposed to put something really boring inside of that and, and, and give it. Imagine for a moment that you open up a gift on Christmas and, uh, you know, I don't know how you do it in your family. We, uh, one of us, it's usually the youngest child, Abby's been doing this for a while, will deliver the presents and we, we try to kind of open them one at a time and watch each other and so on. So uh, if, imagine that a gift has, has come to you, and you open it up, and it is uh, a membership for Weight Watchers. <laughs> and then uh, you're, you're just about over that, and you get another gift, and your uh, girlfriend or boyfriend, you're thinking, oh, this, this will be something nice. And you open it up, and it is uh, the third edition of Dating for Dummies. <laughs> and there is actually a book called that, and there are three editions, by the way, which <laughs> might tell you something. So it's like, uh, thank you. <laughs> and by receiving that and... And acknowledging that, are you admitting that, yeah, I'm like way overweight and I don't know anything about relationships, thank you? That could be tough. Today we're going to be talking about a gift from God, from a little bit of a different angle, but not not totally, so I want you to stay with me. We have been in John 1. We're beginning a long series in John as we'll go through the whole book, but our, our Advent series has been in John 1, 1 through 14, which we will end up on Christmas Eve. We're going to focus on uh, 12 and 13, but I, I want to read the entire context of this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, again, we would ask that you would help us to focus just in these very few moments <clears throat> as we will take time to, to seek to hear from you. Lord, you saw fit to preserve this scripture down through the centuries, and, and one of the reasons you preserved it was for the, the people at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church today. Thank you for that. And now will you teach us why you saved this for us. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So he's talking about uh, a gift. He's talking about a new birth here. Uh, as I said, we want to focus on 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I want to take these backwards. Um, I don't know why. I didn't see any other commentators do that. But uh, I, I would like to do that for a reason. So stay with me um, and, and talk first about verse 13, and then we will come back to, uh, to 12. Uh, what, he, what he's talking about here, if you look, he's emphasizing that this birth, and again, verse, verse 12, he says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's saying that this birth that I'm talking about is not the first birth that comes to your mind. This is not just a, a natural birth that we're, we're talking about. And yet, he wanted to use something that people could relate to and, and could understand. Uh, this is going to be um, looked at in, in a lot more depth when we get to John chapter 3 and we see the interaction with uh, Jesus and Nicodemus and they're, they're talking about being born again and so on. But, but for now, I, I want us to just stipulate that this birth that he's talking about is a spiritual birth and it's what we, in, in theology, 
we would call regeneration. This is not a birth from, from parents, not by the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but here he's saying that it is a totally unique birth. And then, then he states the obvious about birth, and that is not due to efforts. Now, that's where we can see, uh, we can think about uh, uh, natural birth, and we can, we, we can understand why he would maybe use that as the illustration for a, a spiritual birth if he's trying to get that across. Uh, I don't know anybody really that uh, argues that we are responsible for our own birth. We just, we just don't. Uh, no one argues that, uh, you know, I, I did a great job picking my parents uh, or that, uh, you know, that, that if, in fact, most of us would argue the other way, that if, if we were going to choose this, we probably would have chosen some other this, right? I mean, let's face it. And, and so, most people aren't going to go, uh, you know, out on that limb and, and argue that they are uh, responsible for their own birth uh, or that we should get credit for it. In fact, I'm, I'm one that believes that on someone's birthday, I think the mom should actually get a present on, on a birthday. Uh, the one who was born didn't do anything. It was the mother. And actually, probably the father should too because it's really hard to be a father and when a birth comes. And I, I know you all understand that and that the father should probably get a, a gift as well. But nobody argues that that, that baby did a great job. So John is, is taking what everyone knows, which is that we don't have anything to do with our own birth, and he's teaching how salvation works. He ends his statement, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man. He ends his statement with, but of God. And so that's the point. That's the point that when it comes to uh, eternal life, this is all of God. It's not how hard you have tried. It's not what, what you have chosen. It is of God. Now, that's where we get the idea of a gift from God. So now let's back up and, and look at, uh, at verse 2. 12, in terms of uh, receiving Christ. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, we're going to break down this statement phrase by phrase because it, it's that important that, that we understand it. But notice it talks about receiving him. I don't, I don't want to make too big a deal about this, um, but let me, let me just tell you, there is a debate out there, uh, and <clears throat> some of this can come down to semantics, and so that's why I don't go around correcting people. The question whether, whether we uh, accept Christ or receive him, 
Now, I think if we want to get technical, which is, you know, when it comes to theology, you do want to get technical. You want to use precise words uh, that here we see the idea of us receiving. And the problem, not everybody that says, uses the term, I accepted Christ at such a time, because that, that's such a common phrase. And most people that use that aren't thinking this way, but, but when you think about it, who's in charge at that point? If I accept it, I'm the one that gets some credit for this, aren't I? I did a good thing. I accepted, as opposed to like we talked about with, uh, uh, with, with the gifts. If you accept it, you're in the driver's seat, and God is hoping against hope that you will accept him. To receive is like many of us do on Christmas. Someone will hand you a gift and you simply receive it and enjoy it. So when we're getting technical, I'm not, I'm not going to go around correcting you and you will probably at some point hear me talk about accepting Christ. But when we're talking theologically, let's always keep that in mind that, that verse 13 already made it clear. This is, this is of God. It's not of the one who's being born. It's not of his parents or anyone else. And so we receive the gift and enjoy it. And then he, he talks about the idea of believing in his name. Now, in this passage, to uh, receive is basically the same as believing on his name. To believe on his name is to believe in all that he is. It can't be just a Jesus that you've made in your image. Let me give you some examples of what it isn't. Uh, and I, I like the way Ray Ortland put, put this one uh, in terms of uh, it, it can't be this way. It isn't receiving Jesus isn't, or believing on him it isn't inviting him onto the committee of your life. Now let me explain what that is. That's if, uh, okay, we have this committee that runs my life. And it may be my emotions, it may be my preferences, it may be, uh, you know, my limitations, all these different things, how I make decisions. And we're all on a committee. And Jesus, you know what? We're going to give you a seat at the table here. And then when it comes to a decision, we'll all kind of put in our two cents and we'll argue it out and, you know, you might win some and you might get shouted down by the others at some point. But look, you're at the table now. That's not what it means to believe on his name. It's not just giving him a, a seat at the table. If that's how we receive Jesus then he's just one more influence among others, easily offset by other voices that yell and demand and threaten. Believing in his name, secondly, it isn't fire insurance. Let me explain what I mean by that. When we buy fire insurance for our home, 
we are not saying, boy, I hope I get my money's out of, worth out of this, you know. I hope I get to use this someday and it's a good investment. We're not doing that. And instead, we're, we're saying, I hope I never have to use this. Okay? Some people hear about Jesus and they hear about hell and the fires of hell and they say, you know what? I'm not so sure there are the fires of hell or a real hell, but just in case, I better cover that base and buy me some fire insurance by receiving Jesus. That's not what this is talking about either. Believing in his name isn't just intellectual faith. James is talking about the proof of genuine faith being good works that, that follow our faith. And then he, right in the middle of that whole discussion about where faith and works fit together, that you can't, you're not saved by, by your works, but if your faith is genuine, then there will be works. But right in the middle of that discussion, he, he throws in this huge caution and he, he talks about the demons, Satan and the demons. And here's the caution. He says this, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So he's putting in this caution against just a head knowledge, an intellectual uh, knowledge. He's saying... Look, Satan and his demons understand everything that is being uh, said in the Word of God. They understand everything that's coming out of this pulpit. They know it in their head. They even know that in the end, they will be defeated. They know all that. But there won't be any demons in heaven. So obviously, that kind of a head knowledge is not what it means to believe in his name. And then there's, there's one more I want to mention. We could go through a, a, a big list of, of these. And uh, let me mention another one because it's especially this time of year. Uh, it's not just liking the baby Jesus. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. Uh, some people are good with the baby Jesus. He's non-threatening. You know, they like him before he says anything, before he makes any of those hard statements. They like him before he calls people to take up their cross and follow him, die with me. They like him when he's that non-threatening baby in the manger at Christmas. But after that's over, they don't like him so much. And so we got to be careful, especially this time of year, that, that you know, when we focus on, on the birth, which is the right thing to do, 
But ultimately, it's not the baby Jesus that we need to believe in his name. It's the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Scripture. So remember the committee idea? Instead of uh, saying, okay, uh, Jesus, we're going to give you a seat at the table, uh, the table of running my life, here's what we need to do. We need to ask Jesus to come in and dissolve the committee. I want you to, Jesus, I want you to come in, I want you to fire this committee. I want you to take over. That's what it means to believe on his name. John Piper put it this way, it's, it's very harmful to people to create an atmosphere in which people think they're saved by receiving Jesus as Savior when they reject him in many other ways. Get it? He's not just the Savior to save me from hell. He's not fire insurance. Receiving Jesus, he says, means receiving Jesus for all he really is. Savior, Lord, marriage counselor, vocational counselor, therapist, financial planner, nutritional specialist, wardrobe consultant, etc. To try to pick and choose the things about Jesus you find convenient to receive and rejecting the rest is not to receive Jesus as he really is. Get it? You see what he's saying there? You can't pick and choose And the moment you do that, you haven't believed on his name. You haven't received the true Jesus. So what happens when we receive him, when we believe on his name? There's a change in status. Uh, There are two ways to get into a family. One's to be, be born and the other's to be adopted. To come into the family of God, both of those things have to happen. We're born again, we're regenerated, then we're adopted by God into his family. So that's our change of status. What we were was we were orphans. When we're adopted into God's family, we become, it's one of my favorite phrases, children of the living God. As orphans, we were slaves to sin. When we were adopted, we're no longer slaves to sin, but freed from that, and we're children of God. So let's think about this this gift. Remember our introduction about humiliating gifts? I hope you don't get any of those, by the way. Some of you husbands are thinking, okay, i got to return something here. <laughs> the, the problem with those kinds of, of gifts is that it's hard to receive that kind of a gift because you're admitting you have flaws and you might need some help. One author said, there has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do so. Christmas means that that we are so lost, 
so unable to save ourselves that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means you're not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life. So to receive this gift, we're talking about you have to admit you're a sinner. That the only way that you can be saved is, is by grace, not because you've earned it. Remember, you can't birth yourself. And for some of you, it means you got to fire the committee. And that's lower than some of you are willing to go. So consider how low he went for us. The creator of the universe became a creature to obtain salvation for other creatures who could never have saved themselves. He changed his status so that we could have a new status. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now here's the place where Christianity distinguishes itself from every other world religion. John Dixon uh, wrote a book called uh, If I Were God, I'd End All Pain. And he was uh, doing a lecture on a university campus that he called The Wounds, The Wounds of God. After his speech, he was uh, interacting with the crowd, taking questions and so on. And uh, immediately, a man in his uh, mid-30s, a Muslim leader in, at the university, stood up and proceeded to tell the audience how preposterous it was that, that God would take on flesh, how impossible to believe that it is that, that he would have to walk this earth and have to eat and sleep and go to the toilet and let alone die on a cross. He said that's impossible. And not only that, he said, according to the Koran, it is blasphemy. Dixon and the man went back and forth for about 10 minutes and didn't necessarily get uh, anywhere in that. And Dixon later wrote this about that interaction. He said, I had no knockdown argument, no witty comeback. The debate was probably too amicable for either approach anyway. In the end, here's how he ended it. I simply thanked him for demonstrating for the audience the radical contrast between the Islamic conception of God and that described in the Bible. What the Muslim denounces as blasphemy, the Christian holds as precious. God has wounds. 
And here's the point. Because God has wounds, you don't have to receive wounds for your sin. But instead, you may receive the gift of being a child of the living God because we worship a God who took those wounds for us. Let's bow together. Lord, will you give us faith to believe on that name and to receive that wonderful gift that you have so freely offered. We give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.